What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Goal to Go podcast. Once again, it's been a little bit since we've been able to record, uh, but we are excited to be back recording again. Tonight, you got me, it's Reese, and then you got Jordan. Jordan, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. Just had had some good church. Um, so feeling good, you know, feeling, feeling like it's been a productive day. Uh, I'm not so sure about our sports teams, um, but, you know, uh, the Illini got a big win tonight. So needed to get needed to get back on track, right the ship a little bit. So that was good to see. Um, but, man, overall, I'm doing really well. So yeah, good back. stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it was great game uh, played by Illinois after the first 10, 15 minutes. Uh, they really struggled to get the offense consistently going there for the first most of the first half. But once we got it going in the second half, it was smooth sailing for most of that most of that second half. Terrence Shannon poured in 31. He looked like a first round draft pick tonight. Um, and then Hawkins had probably the more underrated performance just because Shannon played so good that he put in 17, 5 and 5. Um, so all around just a good win by everybody. Um, I liked the adjustments that Underwood made, but we're not here to talk about college basketball tonight. Unfortunately, I'm sure we'll get to that coming up as we get closer to March, my favorite holiday of the year, even though it's not an official holiday. It's it is my holiday. Listen, baseball season isn't until April, and even then it's not really in, it's not even really baseball season until after the All-Star break. So it's baseball season. Let's we go. will we will get into that in just a minute. Uh, first, Jordan, let's hear your reaction to the Super Bowl. We're here. It's, it's Tuesday. Super Bowl was this past Sunday. Obviously, the Chiefs uh, had the overtime win. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Um, I, I had the Chiefs winning uh, just because you never want to get want to vote against. Uh, well, bet against <coughs> Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, he's definitely the difference maker. He's the guy that, um, obviously, you know, is going to be the one that, you know, drives, drives that team. Um, you know, obviously Kelsey's a stud and Chris Jones is an animal, but I had, I had the chiefs winning. I think their defense was really, really good. And their defense played really, really well in the Super Bowl. Um, really limited the the Niners made it really difficult. I thought the Niners definitely outplayed the Chiefs in the first half, uh, but I even made the point of like you're getting outplayed, and the and the Niners just couldn't take advantage of it. Um, had some mistakes, you know, but that's the thing. It's like when they were outplaying the Chiefs, I said to somebody I was watching the game with like this just strengthens my belief that the the Chiefs are going to win because the Niners aren't taking full advantage of the fact that they're outplaying the Chiefs right now. And that's not going to stay the whole game. It's just not going to. A, a Patrick Mahomes team is not going to be outplayed the entire game. 
Um, so I think it kind of worked out exactly like I thought it was going to. It was going to be low scoring. It was going to be hard fought. Two really good defenses. Um, and I just thought at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes was going to be the difference. And lo and behold, you know, he was. And his legs especially. It seems like in those big moments, he gets his legs moving and he definitely uh, is a separator. And, I mean, did we all not know that they were going to win as soon as the Niners kicked a field goal in overtime? As soon as you kicked that field goal, you just put a nail in the coffin, man. There was no way you were going to stop Pat Mahomes on that next drive. Like, zero chance. And, um, you know, I'll say this last thing and, and kick it back to you, but, like, I think you had to seriously start asking questions about Kyle Shanahan and really start asking the question of, like, is this guy just a really good, you know, in-season manager or – manager is he a really good in-season coach um or is this guy a big game coach and you know they played it conservative against the lions it felt like and they kind of used you know dan campbell's aggression uh, back against him you know and that worked out in their favor but against a team like the chiefs and andy reed and pat mahomes man it just felt like the niners just lacked aggression at certain points in the game where i felt like they should be much more aggressive. But all in all, when they went over into half or went into halftime with just a slim lead, I just felt like, man, you just completely outplayed the Chiefs and you're barely up. Like they should have been up more. Granted, the Chiefs had the fumble in the red zone, you know, that should have, you know, should have made that game closer than it was. But still, I just felt like it played out exactly how you would have thought it was going to play out. Niners play well. Chiefs play a little bit better. Pat Mahomes is the difference. He's the MVP, even though I think Harrison Butker should have been the MVP, but kicker ain't going to ever get the MVP. So, Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think as far as Kyle Shanahan goes, man, I obviously he deserves some of the blame. Like, There's no question about it, especially in this Super Bowl. I don't blame him as much in 2017. When you have a 25-point lead over a team, you're going to change the way that you're calling plays. Defensively, you can't give up that many points. So that one, I don't I don't put as much against him just because your mindset changes when you're up 25 points at halftime. Right. Um, and it, it's hard to stop momentum once a team, especially a team with Tom Brady gets going. So, um, But this one, you know, I think we definitely have to – start asking the questions of you know just like you said is he is he a big game coach or is he right. just your your really good regular season coach and you they didn't wanna, play well they didn't yeah, play well in the playoffs you they, know, didn't. They, they didn't they didn't play well at the end of the season like yeah towards the end of the season and the thing is is like his his appearances in the super bowl if i'm correct were against brady and mahomes correct so like the two yeah. greatest quarterbacks of all time. So it's not like these are games that he, like, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt, you have to win this game, blah, 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 whatever. It's But it's also like, you know, you, you have to start looking at it from the perspective of the, the way he coached the game. And specifically at the end of the game, the way that they failed to take more time off the clock 
and gave the Chiefs too much time to come back. They didn't run the ball enough. I felt like McCaffrey is the best player on that team, probably the best, one of the better players in the NFL, one of the best players in the NFL, the best running back in the NFL. And I just felt like they underutilized him in moments where, um, you know, he could have been gashing that defense. Um, so <clears throat> to go away from that, and I think Brock Purdy is a fine quarterback. Don't misunderstand. I'm not here to bur- Purdy bash or anything like that. I just – it was his first time in the Super Bowl too. You know, like he's inexperienced too. And so I just felt like even if Purdy is as good as what you think he is, you could have taken pressure off him by allowing Christian McCaffrey to carry you a little bit. And, I mean, George Kittle. George Kittle was absent in the majority of the game. Um, yeah. you gotta you got to scheme him open. And I just felt like they went away from certain things um, that they probably should have been more aggressive with. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I, I said the same thing as you. Um, you know, once once you realize that the 49ers have dominated the game the entire first half and they're up by seven points, they kept it a one possession game. You're like, oh man, y'all, y'all don't even know what you just did. Like, you should be up by at least two possessions at worst. And instead, you kept it a one possession game, and the Chiefs had the ball coming out of halftime. So, you know, I think I think everybody was a little bit surprised when you know the 49ers were favored. Um, there were there was a lot of there were a lot of people saying the 49ers uh, were going to win, and you're not hearing much of that now. Most of those people are walking it back, saying you know they had the Chiefs, um, but. You know, all in all, I think it was a very entertaining game. I was I was a little bit concerned after the first. It, quarter it was a very was, it was a very entertaining game at the end. Like the yeah, way that I, played I, out, very entertaining. I was concerned at the very beginning of the game. You know, the first couple of drives, and it was, you know, a pretty ugly game. Several turnovers. It, we all knew it was going to be a defensive slugfest, but you wanted to see the offense work a little bit, and you weren't really seeing that a whole lot. Um, but you know, ultimately, once it got down to even in the second half, but ultimately third, fourth, and, and overtime, uh, it really picked up, and it was a great Super Bowl. And we officially have a uh, a dynasty. I think it's it's easy to say at this point. There's there's no question yeah. about it. Yeah, three Super Bowls in five years, I think it is, and um, you know went to another one in that time frame, and made it to the conference championship the year they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, I I think it's pretty safe to say it's a dynasty. And um, another thing, I think Andy Reid, I mean, I know he's got Pat Mahomes, but I think, again, just solidified himself as, you know, a top-tier coach in the NFL. And I don't think anybody would ever debate that. But I think there's a really strong case to say that he's the best coach in the NFL. Yeah. Seems to get seems to get it done in big games. Seems to, you know, really connect with his players and the way he handled the Kelsey situation. I think was top class. And obviously, Travis Kelsey is the greatest tight end to ever play the game, in my opinion. But, you know, so obviously you're going to have a little bit more grace with that kind of a guy. But I think if that would have been anybody, Andy Reid would have had grace with them. You know, it's just the way he leads. Um, 
he's an easy guy to root for and it's a pretty easy team to root for honestly so yeah. all in all yeah. i think i think i think both teams played well i just think at the end of the day the niners were a little too conservative and wanted to rely too much on the defense and i think they should have been more aggressive but all in all i mean it's not one of those games where you're leaving with like massive regrets and I know the officials weren't great. They made mistakes. Officials make mistakes in every game. But, you know, I'm happy we didn't have a Rams Saints situation. You know, Yeah, they they didn't they didn't interfere with the game from my right. perspective. It right. wasn't a it wasn't a great called game, but it wasn't one way or the other. They right. they missed some calls, they made some calls. They missed some, they missed some decently big calls on both sides, you know, but Yeah. All in all, like I'm just happy at the end of the game that wasn't what we were talking about. You know, it was it was all right. So, um, anyways, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, hopefully next year, you know, we have a little bit of self interest and in the playoffs. And it's official, man. The Bears are on the clock. The Bears are officially on the clock, and interested to see what they do over the next you know several weeks so i'm sure we'll we'll get into that in, in a later podcast uh real quick just want to touch on the cubs real quick we won't go go too long on this um i know you had some thoughts earlier in our, our text group about what you think the cubs are going to do um from my perspective um man i'm just i'm sick of being in this position where it feels like you know, if they make a couple moves, they'll be in position to make a couple more moves and be in a playoff position. Um, you know, I think they're they're right there. Um, they've had some misses. They haven't really – I know they made some changes, um, especially in the bullpen, but overall you haven't really made any significant changes to your roster. Um, and – and I don't know. I'm I'm just getting frustrated with all of the talk about how many moves they were going to make this offseason, and there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing to be excited about yet. Obviously, we still have a couple of weeks, um, probably until till Belly decides where he's going. Uh, but yeah, what? Let us know what your thoughts are on on where the Cubs are at. I I would say um, if the offseason were to end today and you were going into the regular season, obviously I don't feel great. Um, my reason for optimism is just simply the fact that, you know, Cody Bellinger hasn't signed anywhere yet. Four of the top six free agents that were on the board, um, are Boris clients and those clients always take longer to sign anyway. So you got Snell, Montgomery, Chapman, Belly. Um, and, you know, other than signing Otani, um, there wasn't really a big move that we were all amped up about. I mean, Reese Hoskins would have been nice, but that's marginal. Like once you trade for Michael Bush, I mean, it just kind of like you're, it's a marginal thing for me. If the off season were to end today, like I would, I would not be, I would not be happy about it. Um, you still have some holes. You still have some weaknesses. Um, I like some things that they did, but you know, other than signing Otani, I don't know that there's anybody that has gone off the board that would like have crazy excited me um, with the Cubs getting. Um, you know, 
I think it's been a slow off season in general. And, you know, with the Boris clients still not being signed, you have that kind of waiting. Um, <clears throat> from the beginning of the off season, they were talking about belly waiting until February to sign and lo and behold, it's February and he still hasn't signed. Um, so, you know, I think that's coming. It's not like Bellinger's going to sit out, you know, and not play. He is going to play for somebody this year, and I think that is going to be the Cubs. And if you sign Cody Bellinger, you go into this season with pretty much the exact same team that you started last offseason with, with the exception of having a better bullpen. And I think an underrated aspect that Cubs fans are missing in regards to the optimism of this offseason is the fact that the guy calling the shots is now the best manager in baseball. You know, you don't have David Ross back there running the same three guys out there every single game to to try and get outs. And I think that this team last year, I said 87 wins, and they fell short of that when they should have probably blown past that. And, I mean, to finish the season, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like 4-13 and 13 or something dumb like that losing games that they should not have lost and not being in games that they probably should have been in. You know, it's just one of those things where it just stinks. You wish that you wish that you would have had Craig Council last year and seen what kind of a difference would that have made. So I think that's why my optimism is high. It's not so much like it's not because I'm super confident in all the players that they have signed. I'm just more confident that uh, a guy like Craig Council can get more out of his players than David Ross ever could. I mean, look at the Brewers every year. We look at that team and we're like, who's going to be the dude on their team? But every year, somehow, some way, they have figured it out and they're always competitive. Uh, listening to a podcast today, they were talking about the Dakota projections and they have the Cubs currently at 81 wins. Last year they had us at 77, you know, and this, that was without, you know, that was with Bellinger on the team last year. So they have us 81 with Bellinger right now. Um, and they made a point in this, you know, in this particular podcast to talk about how every year that, um, Craig Council was with the Brewers. They they overperformed the projections because he's just one of those guys that gets more out of his players than than the typical manager. So I think the Cubs in the next week. I think as early as tomorrow, the Cubs are going to sign Liam Hendricks, um, and he's recovering from surgery so he's going to be back around all-star break so that would basically be like a, a trade deadline acquisition but a guy who's been back into the bullpen high leverage closer type material um, with a lot of experience coming in that i think that would be a nice addition obviously it's not going to help the first couple months of the season but it's a nice depth piece at the end of the bullpen um, and then i think they make a trade this week and I also think that they signed Cody Bellinger this week. And if those three things happen, I think that you're looking at a, a pretty solid team 
and you have a lot of young guys and I want to do a, an episode just about the young guys that could potentially make an impact to this year um, and the non-roster invitees that, that are going to spring training and stuff. You know, there's a lot of guys to be excited about and your guy, Christopher Morell is going to be leaned on heavily this year, you know, and you're going to have the first month of the season where you're, he's actually on the field instead of being in triple a, you know, like last year, just wasting homers, you know? So for me, it's like, I think there's a lot to be excited about because I think certain players are going to take leaps. Um, obviously you get excited about PCA. Obviously you can get excited about a guy like Morell and Horner and Swanson and Hap and Suzuki. And, you know, you get excited about the young pitchers, um, Jordan Wicks. And I'm excited to see uh, Shota Imanaga. And, um, you know, it's just one of those deals where until until the games start and until you tell me we're done adding, I'm going to kind of reserve judgment because I feel like if – Belly wasn't a Boris client. He would have already signed with the Cubs. Um, and I feel like that's going to happen this week just because I feel like he knows he wants to be on the Cubs. He knows that that's the best fit for him. He knows the Cubs are going to give him the most money or be closest to what he wants. And the Cubs know they have a hole and they need him. And his versatility, his defense, his leadership, and guys publicly like Dansby Swanson coming out and saying, we need to re-sign Cody Bellinger that's going to go a long way to boosting the morale of this locker room. If you can bring a guy like that back into the fold, because right now in the middle of the order, it's absent. Like if you were just to project the lineup for opening day, you'd be like, who's getting all the RBIs, you know, say is going to ball out. I think again, uh, like he did at the end of last season, the second half of last season, I think Cap's going to be good, but you need Cody Bellinger in the middle of the lineup. And if you could sign Cody and sign Matt Chapman on a one-year deal, like that would be super good. I mean, if you're not confident with signing Belly to a six-year deal and then signing Chapman to a one-year, you know, type of deal or something like that, then I think it's just one of those things where you're just looking for reasons to not be optimistic. But I think the pitching is what gives me optimism. Hector Neris, great addition. Um, Almonte, good addition. The bullpen is going to be significantly better, and they added a bunch of low, low-risk guys um, that could potentially make a difference um, in in the bullpen. Yeah, I I agree with all that. I think just as Cub fans, seeing the potential that we had last year, I mean, we were, you know, not quite one manager away from from being there, but you know, like you said, to finish four and thirteen or whatever it was. Um, to end the season, we did an episode and um, we did a, a segment where you know, we talked about what should have been the playoff push was ultimately the playoff pulse. And that was right before the season ended. And, you know, we ended up not making making the postseason. And that could have been a David Ross thing. Um, I think one thing that's being underplayed is the value that Marcus Stroman adds. And I know he was he was hurt for a lot of last year. He he has been a little bit of a character and been outspoken about some of the teams that he's played for. Um, but the dude was a Cy Young candidate the first half of the season until he got hurt. You know, I mean, he was he was that good. And so I think what we were looking at is, yeah, we've made some, some good moves that you want to make. But 
you know, there's a lot of rumors surrounding Belly. You know, there's the Mariners are, are one team that it feels like they're closing in. The Blue Jays are kind of picking up steam on, on some of these reports. Obviously, nobody knows what's going to happen. Boris is notorious for being really quiet with what's actually going down. Um, so I think there's a good likelihood we do get Belly back. It's just one of those things that, like, as a Cubs fan, you don't want to see this happen because this has happened so many times where you, you make progress in a season. You can make some moves to make a playoff push, and they ultimately just do the most Chicago thing ever and not do anything. And I think that's where the frustration from Cubs fans are, is coming from, where, yeah, we know we've made some additions to the bullpen. Uh, we have a couple other guys that are coming in that are going to be good additions. But ultimately, when you lose a guy like Marcus Stroman and you're taking forever to sign a guy like Bellinger, which may or may not be their fault, it, especially in the offseason where you said you were going to make a bunch of moves, that I think that's where the, the frustration comes from. Absolutely. But you can't, like – like I said, you can't underestimate the move of Craig Council. Like, that is a massive seismic shift within the division. Like, to get Craig Council, steal him away from the Milwaukee Brewers, have him be in your on your team where he's consistently developed young players and and made teams better than they actually are. Like, that is a huge, massive shift. And there's a lot of young talent on the Cubs, like they have eight guys um, and uh, MLB prospectus, like top 101 or something. Um, and, you know, they have a guy like Michael Bush, who's like some of these guys are, are going to be youth. It's going to be a youth movement and they're not proven guys, but these are highly touted prospects, you know, guys that like PCA, like, are we really going to be upset if PCA is our everyday center fielder, you know, and obviously he needs to hit, but it's just like first season, you know, and just let him go out there, let him play the game. You know, defensively, he's probably the best center fielder in baseball and he's played 20 games, you know, and you know, you got a guy like Suzuki, you got a guy like Hap and Horner and Swanson you know, these dudes that are, you know, holding the fort down. You've got a guy like Morell, who I think you're going to see play more consistently and be put in better positions to succeed. Um, you you hope a guy like Michael Bush can really play. You hope a guy like um, Matt Shaw, who's coming up, is going to probably be the third baseman of the future. You hope that he can play. Um, and And these guys are flying through the minor league system. And so when you're you're the Cubs, like you have to weigh these financial decisions heavily when you're talking about investing in guys long term. You don't want to give an older Matt Chapman a six year deal when you have guys coming up behind him that you know are going to be cost you way less and allow you financial flexibility, and you're not going to be blocking them, um, and they could potentially project better you know, as a better fit to your team. So I think for the Cubs, if you don't have Pete Crow Armstrong sitting there, ready to play every day in center field, you probably move a lot faster. But when you got one of the best center field prospects in baseball, Sander Canario, who 
hits absolute tanks. You know, you got a guy like Christopher Morrell who's played some center field. You know, what if what if the plan is uh, to put Morrell out in center to start the season because PCA's bat's not ready? You know, and that becomes Morrell's everyday spot if they don't sign Belly. I just think, like, we have to look at it from a, a different perspective of just spending money because – like, look at the teams that spent the most money last year. You know, the Padres of the world, who were just garbage and couldn't get out of their own way. You look at the Mets, who were t- so bad that they traded everybody midseason. You know, the Yankees always spend a ton of money, and they haven't won anything big in the last several, several years. I mean, these teams that can produce their own talent that's how you win championships. You you can't buy championships nowadays. You have to produce players, produce teams, and I think that's the ultimate goal of the Cubs. And so on some level, I can respect it. Is it frustrating? For sure. I I will be angry if we don't get Cody Bellinger back. Like that's where I would like that's the one thing that has to happen for me, and if it doesn't, I'll be like, man, this offseason, to me right now is a failure. I I don't that think mean that- I don't think anybody is asking them to spend with the Padres spent or with the Mets spent. Right. I right. think I think what we're saying is, you're a big market. You should be up there with yeah. L.A. and New York, and and you know some of these other places. But not even just the Cubs, but Chicago teams in general have just played like or spent like they're in, you know, Nashville or something. Like you're a you're a big market team. I'm not asking you to go out and spend the only person that we've really gone after that would have been a big price tag is Shohei. I don't think there's really anybody yeah. else that in recent years that we've gone after that was looking at that two fifty plus well, price tag. And yes, but you also have to look at it in this sense of like Yamamoto was never coming to the Cubs. Otani was never coming to the Cubs. Like the the more that it that thing developed, the more information we have from that, the type of deal that he signed with the Dodgers, that that deal took weeks. Like he knew he was going to the Dodgers, uh, and and everything else was just to me, just kind of like show. And it it was ne- nobody else ever had a chance. And so when you're talking about that, like what were the other big name targets this off season? Aaron Nola resigned with the Phillies, you know, as long, I mean, he's been with the Phillies forever now. He loves the Phillies organization. You know, what was the other guy out there that the Cubs could have gone and spent a bunch of big money on this off season? Last year, they got Dansby Swanson and he ended up being the best of the four uh, short stops that signed for the majority of the season. So, I mean, was there another guy out there that you're like, man, the Cubs could have spent big money on him and brought him in. I think that guy has always been Cody Bellinger. And that's why for me, it's if you get Cody Bellinger back on this team, no matter how you do it, the offseason is a success. Because what if I told you that this week or in the next 10 days or next two weeks or whatever, the Cubs do what I said. They sign Cody Bellinger. They sign a depth piece in the bullpen. 
and say they make a trade that they've been rumored to be talking to the Marlins and say they get a starter from the Marlins, Jesus Lazardo or something like that. Like, what if they get that kind of a deal done and you add those three guys in the next 14 days? Like, that's a successful offseason. You improved your bullpen. You brought back your your best hitter from last year. You know, like you you made a trade for a young first baseman that's that projects to be really good. Um, you you brought in the best manager in baseball, and you brought in two additional starters to a rotation that desperately needed, you know, depth. And in addition to that stuff, you have a minor league system full of prospects that you can move at at the midway point of the season at the trade deadline and maybe go get an arm like a Dylan Cease uh, from the White Sox or something like that. I mean, I just think the Cubs are so stacked right now that in the minor league system that there should be nothing off the table in regards to who you can trade for I unless think it's in division. Just off the top of my head, Candelario is one that jumps out at me He's the only reason that second half, not the only reason, he was a very large reason for that, that push that we made right right after the All-Star break. Instead, he signs right. with, with the Reds on a three-year, $45 million deal. He's a young guy. He's, he's 29, 30 years old, something like that. He's a big bat. He's great defensively. He's someone that made that, not only our defense, but our bats a lot better. Like, to me, that would have been the – priority right after signing Bellinger and that honestly could have gone come before belly because we knew this deal was going to drag out with belly right and like and I get that like I I'm not saying that there's not other moves that they could have made but it's like to me still like if you sign belly and all you need is one of these dudes to catch on you know one of these guys to catch on a uh, Matt Shaw or uh, a Bush um, Matt Mervis, who came up and had a cup of coffee last year and got sent back down, you know, Carl Armstrong, like if, if this, if just a, one of those guys takes off, you're looking at a significantly better team, you know, a guy like, and I, I, this is funny because last year we were doing this podcast at the beginning of the season and we both said we were really magical, um, but last year, last year he played great at third base. Like, he played great at third base. His defense was significantly better than expected. He still doesn't have a good arm, but, I mean, he makes the plays, dude. Like, he makes the plays happen. And he's great bat-to-ball guy. The typical, you know, guy that you're going to see in, you know, the back end of a lineup that's going to make – uh, a difference so i'm not saying that that is better than candelario but i can tell you it's a lot cheaper than candelario and i i strongly think that had madrigal not got hurt um middle part of last year like we probably wouldn't have traded for candelario would be my guess because yeah. of the way he was playing at third base you know so it's like how much does do you think we win the division with Candelario? Probably not. No, but you I know, think it gets us not. closer than where we're at right now. 
Yeah, but I think just signing if you just signing Bellinger wins you the division. Assuming he he has the same season he had last year, which is not guaranteed. You just got to have a similar. It's not. It's definitely not guaranteed. But signing signing Bellinger to me wins you the division. Your your rotation is good. Your bullpen is better. Uh, it's got better players. It's got more depth. Um, it's it's going to be better bullpen. It's going to be better managed. Your lineup is solid. You got some core pieces. You got Horner, Swanson, Suzuki, Hap. Those guys are going to be your mainstays. Jan Gomes had a great season last year. Miguel Amaya is probably going to take another step this year. You add Cody Bellinger into that mix, that team, you're going to win the division, and you're going to be in a place where you're in first place coming the trade deadline, and you're not just talking about, okay, how do we win the division? You're talking about how do we compete with the Dodgers? How do we compete with the Braves? How do we compete with the Phillies? And at that point in the season, that's when you're talking, okay, let's go get a Dylan Cease. Let's, yeah. you know, let's push chips in the middle of the table. If if Michael Bush is not working out and Belly really wants to play center and PCA is not performing, you move Belly to center and you go and trade for Pete Alonso because the Mets just came out and said that Pete Alonso's probably not getting a deal before free agency. So I just think that there's still ways that this offseason becomes a success. And it can be my hope is that this is a frustrating offseason, not a failure of an offseason. I can live with it being frustrating and frustrating simply because we had to wait so long and we don't know why it took so long to get there. Yeah. But if it's just frustrating and it comes time for spring training games and it comes time for opening day and Cody Bellinger's in the middle of the lineup and you feel comfortable with your bullpen, you feel comfortable with your manager, like what what else could we have done? You know. Yeah. So I'm right now I'm reserving judgment, but I'm optimistic that there's still a chance that you can make this a a really productive offseason. Yeah. I I agree. It's just like you said, it's it's frustrating and it's it's teetering on the brink of being a very bad offseason for a team that, that said they were gonna make moves. We can get Definitely into all that teetering. later. Yeah, we, we'll get into our predictions later. Um, we spent more time on the Cubs because, I mean, that's it's in our veins. It's what we do. It's just in the veins. And uh, it's baseball season. Something like that. <laughs> Speaking of something being in, in our veins, uh, the Bulls, oh, they, they, have, they have losing in their veins. Actually, let me let me rephrase this, because they're actually right about where I expected them to be. They're right around 500. Um, I said this at the beginning of the season when they said they weren't going to make any moves and they were comfortable with the roster. They're right at 500. Most of that is without Zach Levine, who is now out for the rest of the year. Um, they have some and right who spots. Who played terrible before he went out? Yeah, um, I think they're they're either one game or two games. I I can't remember. Um, what they are after that last win. Um, but they're right at, right at the brink of 500. Um, there are some bright spots. They are two, game, two games below. So, yeah. So they're two games below. I think they're at the, the uh, seven seed right now, 
two and a half games or three and a half games back out of the uh, the sixth seed, um, and also three and a half games from missing the entire play-in tournament and the playoffs altogether. Um, so you know they're they're not comfortable either way. Um, you know I'd really like to see them get up to that six seed spot. Um, they really need to go on well, on, a, on a streak here where they win. Um, you know they go four and one or uh, four and two, something like that, um, and really kind of give them a, a lead in that six seed spot. But ultimately, from my perspective, um, even then, that doesn't fix any of the major issues. Debo is not getting any younger. Um, he takes a lot of shots and is extremely inefficient. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is where they're at right now. They need to be developing some of these first-round draft picks that they've had in the last couple of years. And obviously, we've seen Colby come. I mean, he's he's had he should have been an All-Star, um, at least a reserve, um, and he was completely snubbed from that. Um, he has been outstanding this year, and I don't understand why he's not getting any credit in the media for that. Um, he has had an absolute coming out party this year. Um, I don't have his stats in front of me, but he has played really well. Um, Io has played really well the last couple of games. He had 29 last night. He had 19 the game before that. And he's playing a lot of minutes with Zach Levine being out. And I think this just goes to show what we have been saying for so long is you're not going to win a championship with DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine. I like Booch but I don't think as this team is constructed, he's played well, but I don't think as this team is constructed that, that this roster can win. And coming into the deadline, you had an opportunity to make some moves that could put you in a position like the Oklahoma City Thunder were in a couple of years ago, uh, where they had so many draft picks that it was almost laughable um, because you're like, man, how are they even going to have a roster? Because all of their draft picks are first rounders in like four years. And now here they are, they're the best team in the West. The Bulls had an opportunity to move on from some of these pieces. This is this is gonna be an unpopular opinion, but Kobe's trade stock is gonna be higher than it ever will be again. I don't know that he continues on this trend. I love Kobe White. I just don't know that he's gonna be able to continue this. I think if you're the Bulls, you have to you you should have blown this thing up. You had to trade DeMar DeRozan. I know Zach Levine is is a very difficult contract to get out of um, and to trade. You're not going to get anything out of that. Um, but you you try and move him. Colby, you could get so much for him this year, or could have at the deadline. You didn't. Io has played really well going into the deadline. You didn't do anything with him. You have all of these pieces where you could get so much draft capital and kind of restart. And instead, they just left it as it was. And like we said, they're two game or uh, three and a half games uh, from missing the playoffs. So it's not four like this half. is a team. Four and a half. This isn't a team that's like, you know, they started out really hot and now they're they're struggling or they've gone on a hot streak. They've been five hundred all year. They've been five hundred for the last four years. And it's 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 really it's really difficult for me to believe that this front office really wants to win. Like I, I'm 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 in the position where it's like, man, 
you've had this roster for uh, this is the third full season, fourth full season. I think it's third with Vooch, but mm-hmm. nothing's changed. Yeah. You add a couple of draft picks, they don't really add much, and they're in the same position. I, I, I'm honestly at this point, like, I'm more frustrated with them than I am the Blackhawks because we have the dart. So that's a, that's a bright spot. Yeah. But this is the most infuriating franchise. Um, even even the Bears are are in a better position. Yeah, I just I agree with pretty much everything you said except for trading Kobe White. I think what he's doing is sustainable. I mean, because what he's doing is not like like it's good. It's not outrageous. You know what I'm saying? Like he is he's averaging 19 a game. Um. He's taking 15 shots a game. He's shooting 45%, almost 46%. He's shooting almost 40% from three. Um, he's only taking three free throws a game, which is bound to increase um, the way that he's driving to the basket. That's going to be something that elevates. You know, he's he's not really turning the ball over too much. You know, he shoots 82 from free throw. I think Kobe White is a building block. I think he's the exact type of guy that you want to try to help um, support. The guy I wanted them to trade was, uh, and not because I don't like the player, I love the player, but it's Alex Caruso. Like, AC, I love him. But a contender would have paid top dollar for AC, like top dollar. And <clears throat> let's face it, the Bulls are going to make the play-in. They have a four-and-a-half game lead on the Nets. And then after that, they have a seven-game lead on the Raptors. So really, you just got to outplay the Nets for the rest of the season. And I think the Bulls do that because the Nets aren't very good. The Raptors aren't very good. Um, so I think the Bulls are better than those teams. But it's not really saying a lot. Um, Kobe White has played phenomenal. It's been a joy to watch him play. Um, and he's proved me wrong. He's been more efficient and more fun to watch than Zach Levine. Um, he seems he seems to genuinely care about the game of basketball, and he seems to really be enjoying himself. Um, and he's kind of stepped into his own. But I think he needed this opportunity to be able to do that. And another guy who I think needs an opportunity to be able to step into his own is Patrick Williams. And everybody can say whatever they want to about uh, uh, about P Dub, but. Man, when you have DeMar DeRozan on the floor, that just takes away so many other opportunities for a guy like Patrick Williams. And you can say, oh, Pat's not very aggressive. Pat's not this. Pat's not that. Well, Patrick Williams, a lot of times on the floor with, you know, Vooch and DeMar, he's like, and even throw Kobe White in there, throw Zach Levine in there, whatever he was playing. He's like the third or fourth option. 
You know, like, of course you want him to be aggressive, but you never put him on a team where he had to be aggressive. And the nights where everybody's been out and P. Will's been the guy, like, he's shown up. And I just think you have to give, like you said, those guys a chance to mature. And I'm of the persuasion you trade everyone except for Kobe White and Patrick Williams. Yeah, I like. I can I, get. I, I, I don't really. See, I don't. I don't. I don't see the reason to keep anybody else. Like in all actuality, I do not see. I mean, like obviously, that's not going to happen. You're going to keep some of these guys. You're going to keep an IO probably, but like the fact that you didn't move AC, the fact that you didn't try to move Demar, the fact that you couldn't move Zach, you didn't move Vooch. Like, I I agree with you. Like, you had an opportunity to get some draft picks, and I don't think anybody's breaking the bank to get to Marta Rosen, but you could have got something, you know. And But this is notorious Chicago Bulls, overvaluing their own assets and uh, undervaluing other people's assets. And so – you know, now they're trying to sell us this Lonzo Ball thing. Um, apparently, Lonzo Ball practiced with the Bulls, and apparently he's going to be on the NBC broadcasts of the game uh, against the Kings coming up here pretty soon. So, like, now they're trying to throw Lonzo in front of us, and it's it's the classic line that we've been saying for the last two years, like, just wait till Lonzo comes back. And that's, you know... That's, they haven't said that literally, but that's the message. Like, yeah, we didn't do anything. Like, they did nothing at the trade deadline. I mean, nothing. And what's more concerning is they weren't even in a rumor at the trade deadline. Like, I didn't see one rumor concerning the Chicago Bulls other than the Warriors interested in Caruso. But other than that, and that was like loosely – other than that, like there were no rumors that had any substance to it uh, concerning the Bulls. And that's more frustrating than anything else. It just yeah. felt like they didn't even try to keep people. Here, here's the deal about Lonzo Ball. Okay, let's, let's assume he does more than dunk once every eight months or something because that's really all we've seen the last two years is, you know, after eight months, it's like, oh, look, he ran today. Okay, awesome. All even if he comes back and he can play, you know, 25, 30 minutes a game, all that's gonna do is get in the way of what we've seen from Kobe White. That's that's gonna take the ball out of Kobe's hands. It's gonna take the ball out of Io's hands. Hopefully it would take the ball out of DeMar's hands, but that wouldn't that wouldn't happen. It's it's just that's not even a reasonable thing to to throw in front of us. You have you have an aging DeMar DeRozan who is at the end of his career, and it feels like he has been for the last four years, even though he was only 30 when he left the Raptors. I mean, he's 34, almost 35 now. Like, he's not getting better. He is what he is. He's a high-volume mid-range shooter. It's a low-percentage shot. I, I, I love the mid-range game, but that's not, that's not where the NBA is headed right now. It's not headed towards a big man. I like Booch. I think Booch can be a productive asset on a championship team somewhere. I don't think he's he's a guy that you can build around. I, I do agree that Kobe's a guy you can build around. I think I think what I was saying was more just like 
like you said, you had the opportunity to either make some changes to make this team better next year or, you know, make them better in two or three years. And instead, yeah. where are we at now? Like, I don't even know where we go from here. What What is what is the plan going into the offseason? Nobody you knows. Just write it, you just write it out this, this season and, you know, you just – like obviously the Bulls get into the play in tournament. We're gonna root for the Bulls to win because it's Absolutely. the Bulls. Like you want your team to win no matter what, even though you completely disagree with the way in which they went about it. But let's be honest, they messed this up going all the way back to last year. Because there's not a guy in this draft coming up that you're like, Oh, we're tanking for this guy. Like, who's gonna be the first pick in this draft? Do you know? Because I don't know. No. I mean, I'm sure there's a guy out there that they're talking about. This is a could be the first overall pick, but this isn't a this isn't a Wimby draft. You know, this isn't that guy, and it's not a Jason Tatum draft where you're like, there's three guys at the top that could go with Lonzo and. Tatum and Markel Fultz like they messed this up last year where they tried to sell it to you that they could make the playoffs and do something good in the playoffs and blah 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 like this team should have blown it up last year um they should have traded Zach last offseason um last trade deadline when he had some value they should have traded DeMar when he was balling out they should have traded Vooch they should have just blown everything up. And I'm not saying that means you get Wimby, but you at least had a shot at it. Like, now what are you going to do? You're not going to get big-name free agents to come in here because you don't have a culture created to where they want to come and play for you. And it just hurts the soul, man. It just hurts the soul. You're going to be probably maximum eight seed this year. Like if everything goes perfect, you're probably the seven seed, but you're not the six seed. Like, I don't see a scenario where the bulls make it all the way to the sixth seed. I just don't see it happening. I'm not a hundred percent sure I can do a little research and check how many games they are from the sixth seed. So right now they're three and a half games away from the sixth seed, which is the Pacers. Um, Who have just made moves and then, to get better. Right. And then you're six and a half games behind the five seed, which is Philly, who's obviously without Joel and Bede right now, but still, you know, you're seven games behind the Knicks. So I don't see them catching any team in the top six right now. And the team in the seventh spot is the Heat. And the Heat are clearly better than the Chicago Bulls. So to me, maximum, you catch the Magic at the eighth seed. What does that get you? I mean, it gets you two chances to make it to the playoffs. But either way, you're playing Boston or Cleveland or Milwaukee. Like, I don't understand what benefit that is um, and what that brings. So it's very 
incredibly frustrating um, to see this team, you know, just wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over and over and over again with the same old garbage. And you want to get excited about Kobe White. You want to get excited, but you're just like, they're going to find a way to waste it. Like, that's how it feels. No matter what well, good think, thing comes, they're going to find a way to waste it. Think about it like this, though. Here we are. We're right at 500. And the, the biggest thing that we've been excited about in the last two years is that Kobe White is averaging 19 a game. He's playing great. I'm not trying to discredit what he's doing right now. But we're ecstatic that he's averaging 19 points a game and playing like an all-star reserve. That's just the level that we've come to expect as Bulls fans. We live yeah. at 500. We refuse to make any moves. We haven't made a trade since the Boots trade in 2021. Like, I, And we overpaid for that trade. Right. And you sell so, guys, and I, I know it's it's hindsight is twenty twenty, but you look back at the Lori Markinen deal and you're like, man, not that that would make them that much better, but the dude had at least one all-star season. Yeah. And he's playing great this season. You know, it's like, man, like, where do we go? Where where are the bulls? Like, where is the vision? There's no, like, even a team like the Knicks, right? They've been horrible since however long it's been. But they've made moves to get a guy Relative, like Jalen Relatively horrible. They've been better than the than the Bulls. Yes. yes Not as horrible my point as is, the Bulls. They've had seasons where they've been worse than the Bulls, but – They've had. Yeah. They've also had seasons in that stretch where they're better than the Bulls. The Bulls live at 500, but the Knicks have made moves to try and get there. They haven't always worked. They swing and miss a lot, mm -hmm. but at least they're trying to make moves, you know. And now we see you. you they went out and got a guy like Jalen Brunson. That's worked out pretty well. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just so frustrating to be. The, the biggest spot you don't want to be in the NBA is living at 500. And that's where the Bulls have committed yep. to being for the last 10 years. Yeah. Chasing the opportunity of a play-in, like that's one of the worst things that's happened to this franchise is that 10 teams can make it. Because it's supposed to be motivator for like the young team to add a piece at the trade deadline and not keep selling. But instead, it's a motivator for this old old man team to just keep trying to push the chips in the middle of the table one more time. And they're just not good enough. Like, they're just not. And even if they were to make it out of the play-in tournament, which is a massive if, because... I think they're better than the Magic. I do think that they're better than the Hawks. But there's no guarantee that you win those games. And it's looking like, at least if it were to end today, you have to win two games. you got to beat both of those teams to get the playoffs. 
and then you got to play the Celtics. That ain't going to end well. Like, yeah. you're not going to beat the Celtics in the seven-game series or whatever it is. Like, you're not going to beat any of these teams in a seven-game series. Like, it's just not going to happen. And so it's just the likelihood of this scenario playing out in the Bulls' favor is slim to none. Now, if it happens, we're going to rejoice and be thankful, but it's still a dumb plan. Like, it's still just a stupid plan to just say, let's just keep running it back. Let's just keep doing it. Like, it'll work out eventually. It's just dumb. It's what you said. It lacks vision. There is no incentive. Um, As a Bulls fan, it's hard to watch. And you want to watch the games. You want to get excited about your team. You want to hope that they do something good uh, for the future. But it just, you never see it. In every trade deadline these last couple years, I get excited thinking this is the year. We're going to do something of substance. We're going to do something that matters, and we just don't. And you just really question, what is AK doing? What is Mark Eversley doing? And you thought that things were going to change when Gar Packs were gone. But you just look at it now, and you're like, what moves have we been making you know, like I like Javon Carter. He's a nice player. I like Tory Craig. He's a nice player. But what moves are you making that actually make a difference? The best acquisition that this team has made the last several years has been signing Patrick Beverly. Just think about it. Signing Patrick Beverly has been the most impactful move that this team has made in the last several years. It just blows my mind that that is, and I'm sure they're going to add somebody on the buyout market. You know, they'll get somebody, but it won't be anybody that matters. You know, it won't be anybody that moves the ne- that moves the needle at all. Um, the most likely outcome for this entire scenario um, to me is the Bulls either miss the playoff or miss the playoffs by losing in the play-in or they win the play-in and and they get the Celtics and they get beat four or five games. And I, I don't know. Point, at that point, it's just the only thing that benefits is the fact that you got to host a couple games during the playoffs. Like, that's it. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't make any fan happy. Like, we don't care about that. I don't know what it's going to take to get the front office to see that what what is happening is not working. And it hasn't I think they working. see that. I think they see that. But to see that and to admit that are two completely different things. Because to admit it, like, if you admit it, it starts the clock. And if you give up on it, it starts the clock. And to me, which is dumb because the Bulls hang on to, and Reinsdorf is notorious for hanging on to GMs for far too long. So the fact that they're worried about job security, it would be baffling to me. But to admit that you got it wrong, to trade Vooch, you just gave up two first-round picks for Vooch. 
to get rid of DeMar DeRozan, to get rid of Zach Levine after you just signed him to a massive contract. All that is saying is we were horrendous at our job through this certain stretch. Now, when we got Vooch, I was excited. I thought that was a great trade. I thought it mattered. I thought it helped a lot. I thought when he came, Zach and Vooch had a lot of chemistry. Zach Levine, from the moment he got paid, has just been bad. He's just not been good. Um, I think I think that's where it all started to fall apart. Been- because if you're AK, you can say, hey, look, you know, we went out and we got three all-stars. Yeah, DeMar is, is aging a little bit, but he's an all-star. Zach Levine was an all-star. Vooch was an all-star. Okay, you know what, man? It didn't work out. But, like, you went out and you got three all-stars that theoretically should have had a lot of chemistry. It didn't work out. Now you're going to drag this on for another – it's been a season and a half, two seasons, way too long for this to go as as far as it has. Way too long. It's, it's past the point of, of admission now. Everybody – like, you don't have to admit it anymore. Like, everyone is under yeah. the assumption that, like, man, if you can't see that, you don't belong in a front office anywhere. Like, get out of basketball because you clearly don't know what you're doing. Right. I agree with you, man. I agree with you. It's frustrating. It's it's just the Bulls are the most frustrating organization that I root for um, just because it's just mired in mediocrity and – they're not the Cubs. Like, there's not the lovable loser aspect of it. You know, they're not the Cubs. Uh, there's not that. There's not that connection for a lot of Bulls fans. There's not that romantic connection for a lot of Bulls fans that there is for Cubs fans. Baseball is a game that we romanticize a lot, and it means so much to so many people. And so you could put up with a lot more. From a sport like that, you can put up a lot more with the Cubs not spending uh, the way you want to or not doing the things you want them to do because you just love the Cubs. It's not about any particular person. It's just about the Cubs. You just bleed Cubby blue. Nobody bleeds Chicago Bulls. you know. And there are some that do. I guess I shouldn't say nobody. There are some that do, but... Like, let's be really honest. If we hadn't lucked into Michael Jordan and lucked into Derrick Rose, this is a poverty franchise. We've had one golden era of basketball, and it's because we lucked into getting the greatest of all time. We should have never had the opportunity to select him, yet we did, and he got his six rings. Other than that, this and we lucked into Derrick Rose, shouldn't have had the opportunity to draft him, but we were able to, and obviously the youngest MVP ever was dominant, super great. Injuries obviously derailed that, and you wonder what could have been had he not got hurt. But still, all in all, this is a poverty franchise if you subtract the luck that they've had, specifically with being able to draft Michael Jordan. This is a marquee franchise in the NBA only because of Michael Jordan. This has never been a well-run franchise at any point in history, and it's just an absolute 
train wreck at the moment. And I don't see... <coughs> Excuse me. Getting all choked up. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You know? I just don't... I don't see there being anything that gives any sort of confidence that any of this is going to change. And I think for me, that's the most frustrating thing about it is when it comes to the Cubs, you see a light, you see a path. You see a path to success. With the Bears, you see a path to success. With the Blackhawks, you see Connor Bedard. You know, like you see these things that could potentially lead to some excitement in your particular sports fandom. When it comes to the Chicago Bulls, what do we have to be excited about? What gives you indication that this this is going to come to a head and at the end of it all, there's going to be a payoff that it's worth it? You know, we have these other franchises that we're currently rooting for that are seemingly in better places, and it's just so sad because the Bulls should be better than they are. They should be more of a draw. Players should want to come to Chicago to play. They should. I don't understand why players don't want to come to Chicago. It's because it's a poverty franchise that is built on the back of Michael Jordan, and had it not been for Michael Jordan, this franchise would be viewed differently by the entire NBA and by the entire sports world in general. And then we go off and we boo the late Jerry Krause at his Ring of Honor ceremony just because that's how much of a poverty franchise I mean, I get the frustration with both. Uh, clearly, we're sitting here going on 30 minutes talking about how frustrated we are with the Bulls. Yeah. And I know Jerry Krause has not had a good light shine on him in the last couple of years. But this is the guy that brought you six rings. He's the only reason that you had a, a good nine-year stretch. Outside of that, you have one Eastern Conference Finals run. And then what? And here you are booing off the late GM's wife off the stage at his Ring of Honor ceremony. And that's just because of how frustrated we are as fans because there is no vision in the front office. Zero vision whatsoever. And like I said, it just hurts, man. Like, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You just don't. Like, there's zero reason for optimism. You can be excited about a particular player but like literally about Kobe White is more just excited for the that Kobe White is and it's like you know what Kobe would be a solid NBA player on some championship level team someday like I get excited watching Lowry Markinen play the game of basketball because he just didn't get developed at the Chicago Bulls like it's just guys like that where you're just like man you're gonna make it and you get excited because you're like Eventually, they're going to make another team. That's a super sad place to be because it should be, oh, Kobe White's here to supplement an all-star-laden roster. And yet it's not. It's not that. It's Kobe White has to be the man or this team is going to underperform. So I could go on and on and on about my frustrations with the Bulls. I could... This is we haven't even talked to Donovan, which is a completely different thing. 
Um, I just, I, I get bored with it because it just, it hurts so bad to try to figure out what they're thinking, why they're doing what they're doing and how it's all going to end. Because to me, the only way I see it is that this is going to end 20 years from now with AK and Mark Eversley still in the same exact position, the same way Gar Packs were with undying loyalty. And the only way that this is going to change is if Jerry Reinsdorf dies and and somebody else takes over the team because Reinsdorf isn't going to sell the team. So it's just about what happens with the Chicago Bulls as a franchise. Um, and as long as Reinsdorf is here, I just don't, I don't see it getting any better. I just don't. So if we could never talk about this again, I'd be really appreciative. Yeah, this is, this is our one bull segment for the year. Uh, we'll see you actually <laughs> next year, next year, we're just going to replay this, this segment. We're not even going to record it again. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to come back. Right. Cut this again. It's probably all still accurate. Yeah. They're going to have the same roster. They're going to have the same front office. Billy Donovan will still be doing what Billy Donovan has done. And Lonzo Ball would have just tweeted something out. Lonzo Ball just dunked again for the first time in eight months. And and DeMar will be 35 going on 36, still putting up 27 shots a game. Yeah. Well, the good news is, man, it's baseball season. The Bears are on the clock. You got March Madness coming up. You got a lot of exciting things still going that we can root for and not be so devastated about the Bulls. Connor Bedard looks like he's about ready to come back, which is super exciting. Uh, only reason to watch the Blackhawks right now. So that that's going to be fun. Um, there is a lot of good stuff going. And uh, for the sake of everybody and their sanity, um, I hope that the Cubs make some make some moves over the next week and 10 days or so to get this team uh, really set up because – with the Brewers gone, I mean, no Corbin Burns, no Brandon Woodruff, no um, Craig Council up there in Milwaukee. I just don't see the Brewers being a very good team this year. The Reds are obviously very young. Um, the Cardinals obviously struggled a lot last year. They added Sonny Gray, but they also added two horrendous pitchers and Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. And somehow so, are still projected um, to win the division. Yeah, uh, and that's strictly because of their offense. Um, but their offense was was good last year, and they still were terrible, mostly because their defense is horrendous as well. So you know we'll see um, we'll see what ends up happening. I think the Pirates are going to be better than last year, but all in all, this is a very winnable division. So I hope for everybody's sake the Cubs make some moves and uh, strengthen this team. And obviously, you just you hope the Bears make the right decision. Uh, but it's a lot to look forward to, and it's just not worth it just spending your time on the Bulls and getting all depressed. Just get excited about the other stuff that, that's going on and uh, the good things that we can look forward to. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, hey, next time we'll we'll, we'll hit on the Bears, and uh, you know, hopefully we have a sense of direction of where they're going. Um, like you said, they're on the clock, um, so we we will see in the next couple of weeks where they go. Um, but until next time, we've been the Golden Go Got podcast. What? When did uh, the Bears trade the number one pick last year? Do you remember the date? I do not. Was it in March or was it in? Because I have a, I thought it was in February, but I could be completely wrong. Maybe it was the first week of March. But typically around the draft combine is when um, the NFL combine is when they start really laying the groundwork for those deals, and that's coming up here pretty soon. It was in March. I'm not sure the exact date, but it was in March. Okay, March, I think March it was first 10th. week in March. March anyways, 10th. Anyways, we should we should start getting some movement on that too, because I I don't think that the Bears are going to wait till draft day to do something. I think whether it's trading Justin Fields or it's trading the first overall, I think here in the next next couple of weeks we're going to have our answer. Um, I would say by mid-March, we kind of know what the Bears are thinking. And uh, I, I think no matter what, it has potential to be a wins, winning type of situation. So that's exciting too. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll be, we'll be able to cover that pretty good and uh, just enjoy that process. And let's just try to be positive about that one, no matter what happens. It Even if it's tough. Caleb Williams. <laughs> it might uh, be I tough. I know. I know. We'll I, I know. I'm asking for a lot, but hey, would you rather be talking about the Bears and Caleb Williams or the Bulls? Uh, I I will talk about the Bears and Mitch Trubisky over the Bulls right now. Hey, Mitch Trubisky, it's gonna be backing up Patrick Mahomes next year in Kansas City. You watch. How poetic will that be? and Mitch Trubisky back again behind Patrick Mahomes, baby. And with that <laughs> downer of a Chicago prophecy, this has been the Goal to Go podcast. Thanks, Jordan, for, for jumping on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we can, we can start recording more consistently again. Uh, and we'll see you next time on the Goal to Go podcast.